Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. And we have called this series in Matthew, Christ is King. How many of you are thankful that this is true? Christ is not just our King, but He is the King of all the universe. And a king rules, a king reigns, a king has a kingdom. And Christ is the greatest king. Amen. Christ rules righteously, he reigns forever, and his kingdom is without end. His kingdom will never end. And so, this is the king that we are learning about in the book of Matthew. So, As we've seen in the beginning of Matthew, he is setting out to introduce us to this king. We've seen the lineage of the king in Matthew chapter 1. We've seen the birth of the king. We've seen the threat to eliminate the king. And then over the last two weeks, we've seen the account of John the Baptist who was sent as a messenger to prepare the way for the king. And so that's what we've looked at over the last couple of weeks. John the Baptist was this herald for the king. He was announcing the soon arrival of the Christ and of the kingdom that was to come. He was saying the the kingdom is on the way. And so John the Baptist was telling everyone to repent, to be baptized, to prepare your hearts for the coming king. And so this is where we're picking up this morning as we continue our study in Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. Now, I know we just sat down, but I like it when we stand to read the Word of God. So if, if you could, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of Scripture, which we believe is the most holy thing on the planet. The Word of God is the only perfection that we have in this world. And so I think it's great when we can stand and honor the reading of God's Word. So Matthew 3, starting in verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we have your word to know who you are. God, you have revealed yourself on the pages of Scripture. And so, Father, as we study your word this morning, as we look at this account in Matthew chapter 3, as we see that you love your Son May our love for Him grow deeper as well. 
it's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. So the beginning of this passage, it starts by saying, Then Jesus came. All of the buildup of the beginning of the book of Matthew is leading up to this point right here in verse 13. The arrival of the king. Jesus steps onto the scene as an adult for the first time in the Gospels. For the first 30 years or so of his life, we don't know much about Jesus other than the account of him when he was 12 in Luke chapter 2. And so here we have Jesus beginning his public ministry. He's, he's entering the scene. And what's amazing here, as the king arrives, the king comes out into the public to begin his ministry, there's, there's no procession. For all we know, Jesus went to the Jordan by himself. There's no fanfare. There's no entourage. There's no, you know, riding of elephants. I don't know if you've seen the movie Aladdin, but when <laughs> Prince Ali comes into town, you know, that's, that's how most kings would make their appearance. But not Jesus. His appearance couldn't have been less royal. But now he's here, he's, he's out in the public and he's ready to begin his ministry. And he steps onto the scene with a purpose. We see what that purpose is in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. He makes this trip to the Jordan River to be baptized by his cousin John, no less. Jesus is going. He's seeking out the camel-wearing, locust-chewing, honey-licking wild man, John the Baptist, to be baptized. And this was startling to John. This was shocking that Jesus would come to John and ask him to be baptized. We see John's response in verse 14, it says John would have prevented him. John tried to stop him from being baptized, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Now we know from reading uh, the account of John the Baptist in John chapter 1, that at this point, John didn't truly know yet that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't know that He was the Christ until after the Holy Spirit descended onto Christ. And we see that in John chapter 1, and we'll look at that passage later. But I believe that John had a suspicion already that Jesus was the Christ. You know, Jesus was his cousin, and John's mother... Elizabeth, she knew that Jesus was the Lord. If you can remember when Mary, when she was pregnant, she came to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth said that that who is in your womb is the Lord. And so I imagine as John is growing up that Elizabeth is telling her, telling John of his younger cousin who is the Messiah. And so I believe here that John had a suspicion that Jesus was the Messiah. And so John knew that Jesus was far holier 
than him. And so it's, it's amazing that Jesus would ask John to baptize him. John was what we call these days shook. He, he, he couldn't believe what Jesus was asking him to do. But here we see the humility of John on display. You know, many who were in John's shoes would have thought, wow, this is an amazing chance to lift up my ministry. You know, everybody get your cameras out. Make sure you record me baptizing the Son of God. Once Jesus is proven to be the Christ, this will be great for my following. Many people would have jumped at the opportunity to baptize the Son of God, but not John. And we've already seen his humility earlier in Matthew 3, in verse 11, when he says, Behold, one is coming, who after me he is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. And so John wasn't having it. He, he, he wasn't wanting to baptize Jesus. Because baptism, what it was representing at that point, was a confession for sin. You were being baptized, re repenting of your sin. And, and John knew, at least he had a hunch, that Jesus, as the Messiah, had no need of baptism. But John knew that he was a sinner, and so he asked Jesus if he would baptize him. He said, I'm, I'm not worthy to baptize you, but if you could please baptize me. And have you ever wondered in this account why it was that Jesus was seeking to be baptized? As I said, baptism was for repentance of sin, for confession of sin. We know that Jesus never sinned. So why is it that Jesus was seeking to be baptized? Why did he leave his home in Nazareth, travel to the Jordan River to seek out John the Baptist to be baptized. You know, I don't think he was just traveling and he was a little hot and he saw all these people gathering in the Jordan River and thought, that looks nice, why don't I take a dip? That, that wasn't why. We, we know that Jesus came for a specific purpose, that his baptism was for a reason. And so I think there's at least three reasons why Jesus was baptized. And so I'd like to look at those three today. And the first and the, the main reason I believe Jesus was baptized was to show solidarity with sinners. To identify himself with humanity. And we ourselves are Sinners, You know, this was a, a public display. This wasn't a private gathering. Jesus didn't approach John in the middle of the, of the night when no one else was there. No, Jesus was being baptized amongst sinners in the public for all to see. He was being baptized with sinners. He was showing unity. He was showing solidarity with those who were also being baptized. Those who were repentant. He was unifying himself, himself with those around him who were being baptized. In Isaiah chapter 53, which is it's one of the most well-known chapters in Isaiah as it details Jesus' crucifixion and his suffering on the cross, it, it has this to say about Jesus in verse 12. So Isaiah 53 verse 12, it says, 
Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So here as Jesus is being baptized out in the public amongst sinners, He is relating with the transgressors. He's identifying with us, which is to identify with sinners. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says about Christ, it says, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. How many of you are thankful that we can be made righteous because of the work of Christ? But Jesus says in verse 15 of our text in Matthew 3, He says, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so... A few years later, as Jesus took our sin on the cross, He was making it possible for us to be made righteous. And now we as believers, one of the ways we show that we've been made righteous is through baptism. That it's only through Christ that we can be made righteous. And so this is the first reason why I think Jesus chose to be baptized. Because we know He didn't need to be baptized for repentance of sin or for confession of sin. But yet I do think he had a purpose for his baptism. The second thing is that Jesus' baptism gave approval to John the Baptist's ministry. In this chapter, we've seen John preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That Christ, the Son of God, is coming to prepare the way to get your hearts right, to confess of your sin. We've seen him challenge the scribes and the Pharisees as they showed up. You can remember John called them a brood of vipers, which Pastor Matt told us last week that he was, essentially what he was saying is that the scribes and Pharisees were offspring of Satan. So John had... had he was kind of a wild man. His ministry was, was pretty extreme. But what Jesus is doing by seeking out the baptism of John is He is affirming him in his ministry. He is confirming that everything that John has done up to this point has been correct. And it has been for the purpose of revealing the Christ. You know, Jesus didn't show up to the Jordan and, and tell John, I, I've got it from here. You, you've done your job. Now step aside and I'll start baptizing people. Or he didn't show up to John and say, you know, John, the way you've been talking to the Pharisees is pretty harsh. No, he didn't correct him at all. By him submitting to John and being baptized by John, he was, he was telling those around as he was baptized in public, everything that John has said is true. The kingdom of God is indeed now at hand. And so imagine how this would have solidified John in his ministry and propelled him to continue in his ministry. You know, John stepped out in faith, believing that there was a Messiah to come. Imagine the, the faith that that took. 
You know, similar to what we saw with Noah in the Old Testament, preaching that there is a a flood coming. One in which he had never seen before. John had never seen anything like the reign of Christ that he was preaching and announcing, but yet he stepped out in faith. And in this moment, by Jesus approaching him, his message was confirmed. And so the last thing that the last reason that we see why Jesus was baptized, I believe, is to show us believers its importance. If Jesus thought it was necessary to be baptized, what, what does that say about all of us? If Jesus was baptized, we too should be baptized. And so we here at Destiny Church, we believe that it is essential for all believers to be baptized, that everyone who has put their faith in Christ should indeed be baptized. And all throughout the book of Acts, when someone is saved, they are baptized. We see this over and over in the book of Acts. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 2 with me, where we see the very first sermon post the ascension of Christ ever preached here on the day of Pentecost when the the Holy Spirit is poured out. Peter stands up and delivers a a sermon. And starting in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, it says, Now when they had heard this, when they had heard the sermon that Peter preached, All of these who have gathered together after the Holy Spirit's been poured out, the the disciples and those that were in the upper room, they've been given the gift of other tongues. They're, They're speaking in other languages. It's attracting people. Peter sees this opportunity to preach the gospel. After he has preached the gospel, it says they heard this. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the very first time we see someone say, what do we need to do as Christians to become a follower of Christ? And Peter says, you need to repent And then you need to be baptized, every single one of you. He doesn't say if if you feel like it or if if it's convenient for you. If the time's right, you can be baptized. No, he says, in order to receive this salvation, first you repent. After then, after your repentance, after you've placed your trust in Christ, the next step is for you to be baptized. Now you might be saying, yeah, well, that's, that's Peter's preference. You know, that wasn't Jesus saying that we need to be baptized. Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. And I will show you that Jesus commands all Christians to be baptized as well. Now, Matthew chapter 28 is the very last chapter in the book of Matthew. We're going to look at verses 18 through 20, which are the last verses in the book of Matthew, and this is the very last thing that Jesus tells his disciples before he is ascended into heaven. 
So I think it's safe to assume that verses 18 through 20 are very important words for Jesus, that he thought carefully about what it was that he was going to give his disciples as his last statement before he's ascended into heaven. These are Jesus's final words. And so I know this passage is one that we're all familiar with. Pastor Matt has shared some great sermons on this passage. But Jesus says in this moment, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus at this point, he has conquered death. He has been given all authority on earth and on heaven. And it's with this authority that he now commands his disciples to go and baptize the nations. Jesus, again, like Peter, he doesn't make this optional. And so now as we go back to Matthew 3, Jesus in this moment with John the Baptist, he's, he's showing us what he will later confirm is that baptism is important for those who are disciples of Christ. Baptism is important for the righteous. And so if you're here today and you're in Christ and you've repented of your sins, you've placed your faith in Christ, but you have yet to be baptized, I implore you, I, I can't stress enough that you need to be baptized. And we, we can make that happen here at Destiny. We, we do have a baptism tank, and so if you would like to be baptized, you know, you can come and see me after church and we'll, we'll make that happen. But what, what we need to be sure of and what I want to make sure is clear is that baptism isn't going to save you. You're not baptized to be saved. You're baptized because you are saved. We know that Nothing else other than our faith and the grace that we've been given can save us. Ephesians 2, 8-9, through 9, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We're saved through, by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. We're not, we're not saved by our baptism. We don't get baptized to be saved. We get baptized because we are saved. And notice Jesus in Matthew 28, He doesn't say, go therefore and baptize them and then disciple them. No, once they are discipled, once they are followers of Christ, then you baptize also in, in, Pete, in uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter says, repent and be baptized. The repentance comes first before baptism. And so the order of baptism is also very important. Baptism is, our baptism now isn't one of repentance. We, we already repent of our sins. We, we come to Christ. We place our faith in Christ. 
But what our baptism is, it's, it's publicly displaying that now we are a new creation in Christ. It's us showing that we are burying our old man, we're burying our sinful man, we're putting our sinful flesh to death, and what comes up is our new man that we have been given in Christ that has been risen. And so if you're in Christ and you have not yet been baptized, I pray that you'll be obedient to the Scriptures, obedient to the command of our Lord and be baptized. So why was Jesus baptized? Well, He was baptized to identify with sinners. He was baptized to give approval to John the Baptist's ministry. And then He was also baptized to show us the importance of baptism. So... In this account, not only do we see why Jesus was baptized, but we also see how He was baptized. And I think this is also important for us to look at as Christians, the the method that Jesus was baptized. And so to see that answer, to see how Jesus was baptized, let's go back to Matthew 3, and we'll look at verse 16. And it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So Jesus came up from the water. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it would be hard to come up from the water if Jesus had been sprinkled with water. Jesus was immersed. Jesus fully went under the water. The English word for baptism is a word that is transliterated from the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip or to immerse or to sink. And so at Destiny Church, we believe that the biblical method of baptism is baptism by immersion. Paul says in Romans 6, verses 3 through 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So baptism represents the burial of our old man. So that's why we literally bury ourselves in the water and come up out of the water. Now, I don't know if you've ever buried something before. Uh, My kids, they like to play in our backyard, you know, which I'm thankful for. I think it's great for kids to play outside. Amen. Amen. kind of a novel idea these days, but about a year ago, they were playing, and they came inside and said, Dad, we we found a mouse, and it's not alive anymore, and um, wow, that seems really startle someone over there. Uh, Everything dies, so it's just part of life. But, you know, this little mouse was cute. It, It wasn't 
horribly maimed by whatever critter got to it, you know, it was still in pretty good shape. It, so I don't know if it had a heart attack or just what, whatever happened. It, it, was, it was dead though. I made sure of it. Um, but being a cute little mouse, you know, I, I have three daughters and they wanted to give this mouse a, a proper burial. I think they named it Minnie, um, which maybe that's not too nice to think that Minnie Mouse is now dead and buried in our alley. But so I said, okay, we'll give, we'll give Minnie Mouse a funeral. And so we, we buried Minnie Mouse. We did do it in our alley. I didn't want to bury a mouse in our backyard. So what did I do? I, I dug up some dirt and I completely covered the mouse. Made sure its tail wasn't poking out of the dirt or its cute little paws weren't still sticking out of the ground. What I didn't do is say, okay, kids, here's the mouse. Pick up some dirt and just toss it on the mouse and, and now it's buried. No, to be buried is to completely submerge that thing, to completely cover that thing in the ground. And so, again, I'm just wanting to reinforce, reinforce the point that to be baptized is to completely be immersed in the water. In, in John chapter 3, it says that John was baptizing in the Jordan because there was much water there. In um, Acts, when the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized, it says they went down into the water and came up out of the water. So we have plenty of examples that show us in Scripture that baptism is won by immersion. And so now we've looked at why Jesus was baptized and how Jesus was baptized, but as we continue on in verse 16, we see the result of Jesus' baptism. And so going back to verse 16, it says, And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. The Holy Spirit in this moment came upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Now Jesus surely was already filled with the Holy Spirit. But what we're seeing in this moment, what this moment was symbolizing was Jesus being anointed for his public ministry. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So this is the work of the ministry that Jesus was about to do. And how many of you can say that Jesus has done this for your life? That he has, you have heard the good news that he has binded up your broken heart, that he's brought liberty to your lives, that he's opened the prison that we were bound to. We were bound in sin and he has set us free. So this is what is happening in this moment. God the Father is anointing Jesus, the Son, for His public ministry. And so the dove was the visual representation of this anointing. In this moment also, 
is what identifies Jesus as the Christ to John the Baptist. And so if we'll, we'll turn quickly over to John chapter 1. We'll see this. Uh, if we could look at verses 31 through 34. So in John chapter 1, we also have the account of John the Baptist as well. Starting in verse 31, John the Baptist says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Again, he says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And so also what was happening in this moment, it was the revelation to John the Baptist that Jesus was indeed the Christ the Son of God. And this is why, if, if we move up in a few verses, the, this actually the, the order is a little off, but in John 20, uh, 1, 29, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so after Jesus' baptism, John was convinced that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So imagine how important this moment was for John to have his message that he stepped out in faith preaching that the Christ was coming to have it validated as he saw the Holy Spirit descend onto Christ right in front of his eyes. And so that's why Jesus was baptized, how he was baptized, and the result of his baptism. And so for the rest of our time today, we're going to look at the last verse, verse 17. And in this, we have the revealing now of the king. The king is revealed by God the Father. Verse 17 It says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now quickly, I just want to highlight this because I think it's worth noting that here in this passage, in this moment, we see the Godhead all present. We see the, the Trinity on display. We have God the Father from heaven affirming God the Son who is on earth as he is being anointed by God the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. But now here in verse 17 we have the Son of God being publicly revealed to the world. And this moment was bringing to pass the fulfillment of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a, a prophecy of Christ. The whole chapter is all about Jesus, but I'm going to look at verses 7 through 9. Verse 7 of Psalm chapter 2, it says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
So God says to the Son, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So Christ the King being revealed was a huge deal, and specifically the language that God the Father used to reveal God the Son was important, how he used the same language from Psalm chapter 2, you are my son, this is my beloved son, was pointing back to this passage in Psalm 2 to show that now the king has arrived who is going to make the nations his heritage. Jesus is ruling the nations. Jesus is the king of kings, and this king has now entered the stage. In the book of Isaiah, we have what are called the servant songs. There's four chapters in the book of Isaiah that talk about the servant, the Christ, the Messiah. These four chapters in Isaiah, they describe his service, they describe his suffering and his exaltation as the servant of the Lord. But the first of these four servant songs is found in Isaiah 42. And I believe the first verse in Isaiah 42 is describing what is taking place here in Matthew chapter 3. So Isaiah 42 verse 1, it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Again, this is using the same language, in whom I am well pleased. My soul delights in my chosen. God says, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And so I believe in this moment, as the king is being revealed, all of these past prophecies are coming to fruition that Now God is communicating publicly that the kingdom of Christ is now being established, that the king is now here who is going to rule the nations, who's going to bring forth justice to the nations. And I believe that that is currently happening now. Because if you can remember in in Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and in heaven and on earth. He doesn't say all authority at some point will be given to me, but now that Christ has defeated death, he has conquered hell in the grave, he is now ruling and reigning, seated at the right hand of the Father. And this is good news for us. Christ is, is currently ruling the nations. He is currently bringing forth justice to the nations. You know, this banner is purposeful. We didn't think it just looked cool, which it does, but that's not why we made it. Notice, Christ isn't under the world. He's over the world because He is currently ruling over all the earth. Currently ruling. This isn't a future thing. And this is important for us to understand. This this gives us a greater sense of purpose, a greater sense of hope. Because really, as 
part of the kingdom of God, as part of the reign of Christ currently as believers, we take part now in bringing forth justice to the nations. As we go out and proclaim the truth of the Word of God, as we disciple our children, as we teach the truth to our children, as we go out in our workplace and shine the light of God, we are taking part in the reign of Christ. Amen. So this should really embolden us in our message that now we are commissioned with the authority of the one who is ruling over all of the universe. And so in this passage, we have the revealing of our reigning king. And as he is announced by God the Father, God tells us that he is well pleased with his son. He tells us that he loves his son. And so in closing this morning... I want to ask you, is Jesus your beloved? We know that He is God's beloved. We know that God loves the Son, but do you love the Son? Are you well pleased in Christ the Messiah? We know again that God is well pleased with Him, but does your soul delight in Christ? Christ who has made us a new creation. We who were dead in our sins, completely dead, Christ has raised us to life. And as we reflect on baptism today and what it represents, I pray that it would stir up in us a deeper love for Christ. That He would truly be our beloved. That we wouldn't love or have affections for anything else on earth higher than the love that we have for Christ our King, Christ our Messiah, Christ our Redeemer. Because it's only through Christ now that we have been made new. The Bible says that the old things of our life has been passed away and now behold, the new has come. All righteousness has been fulfilled as Jesus said now in verse 15. And so Jesus, who never knew sin, He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Imagine that. Us sinful people are now the righteousness of God because of what God, the Son, Jesus Christ, has done for us on the cross. And so, oh, I, I just pray that we would love Him more, that we would delight in Him, that we would spend a good portion of our day every day just meditating on the work of Christ for us. And that that would just grow in us a deeper love, a deeper affection, that our souls would delight in this King who has been revealed in this passage. And that as we do this, as we reflect on the work of Christ, that it would lead us to live passionately for Him. That we would live a life full of boldness like John the Baptist that would go out and prepare the way for the Messiah. That we would preach the truth of the Gospel without shame. And as we do this, we are serving the Lord as King of Kings. 
as the king of our lives, but not only the, the king of our lives, what we've looked at in, in Scripture today is Jesus isn't only king over our lives, he's king over our city, he's king over our state, he's king over our country, Christ is king over the entire world. Amen. And so let's serve him as king. Amen. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll partake of communion. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for sending your son, for sending the king to earth. Lord, I thank you for this account where the king is revealed for all to see. Lord, I pray that in our lives we would honor Christ as king. But Lord, also that we would, we would walk every day with the revelation that Jesus is ruling over the nations. Jesus is currently subduing his enemies under his feet. And we, as part of his kingdom, get to play part of that. So Lord, help us to be used by you. Lord, help us to submit our lives in service to the King of Kings. And Lord, I pray that you would just grow in us a deeper sense of love for this King. That our hearts would be turned away from the world. That our hearts would be turned away from the things that can so easily distract us that have no eternal value and that we would completely devote our lives to loving and serving this mighty King. And it's in the King's name that we pray, the mighty name of Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.